You're listening to the Flying Goat Farm Podcast with your host, Lisa Check. This podcast is for people who love yarn and fiber and sheep, who love to knit and crochet and maybe even felt. We will be talking about the crossroads between keeping sheep and goats, making yarn, and expressing your colorful self. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 11 of the Flying Goat Farm Podcast. Today I'm taking on slow fashion. Um, Can it save the planet? What is it? Um, And thinking about how to achieve that um, slow fashion in our everyday lives. Before we get there, here's what's happening on the farm. So if you've been following me on Instagram or Facebook, And um, you know that I've been working on a no Rhinebeck sweater because there's no Rhinebeck this year. And so I have um, just in the last five minutes um, cut apart my sweater. I did a color work sweater cardigan in the round with a steak in it. Um, I then uh, just an hour ago put the... Um, the crochet part of the steak in, and then I cut it up the center. Um, it looks fantastic. My next step is to um, stabilize all those um, those little fringy ends under a ribbon, and um, put the buttons on, and work on some buttonhole loops. I think that I'm just going to put in loops, not a whole button band. Um, So I'm pretty excited about that. Rhinebeck to 2020 is now virtual and it starts um, a week from yesterday. Um, So I am quite sure that my Rhinebeck sweater will be done in time. Um, This is the fastest I've ever done a sweater in my whole entire life. And in fact, usually they take me about a year to make a sweater. Um, Now, some of those sweaters have been like all cable all over. So yeah, they've been um, a, more complicated than this one was, but still I'm excited. Um, so now I'm excited about finding something else to do another color work or something with another, something with a stick in it, maybe something that is not hand woven um, or not, excuse me, not hand spun um, so that it doesn't take me four years to go from, animal to fleece to yarn to sweater. Um, I also have a beautiful photograph showing here that was taken by my friend Kyle who came out this week and took photographs of um, the animals and some of me too. Um, We had a really good time on Wednesday and um, this picture of um, these goats and chicken are just too cute for words. So that's what's happening on the farm. So let's get to it. So where does slow fashion come from? It really kind of um, came out of the slow food movement that started a while ago. Um, And the slow food movement envisions a world where um, all people can access and enjoy food that's good for them, um, that's healthy, that is good for the planet. So it doesn't it isn't made with herbicides and pesticides It isn't full of fat and, um, you know, uh, high fructose corn syrup and salt and those kinds of things. And it really is about um, cooking good, healthy, wholesome food in your own kitchen. 
Um, and the pr approach that I took from their website is you know, they're looking for a good quality, flavorful, healthy food. The production does not harm the environment. That would mean, you know, organically grown or organically tended as we do. Um, we're not organically certified, but we um, treat our vegetables that way and fruit. And that it's fair, that it's um, accessible to um, to consumers and that the producers get paid for what they are doing. Um, and aside from our topic today, this philosophy is really helpful to all of us and healthy for all of us. And what I continue to say for the, over the past few years is get to know your farmer. Go to the farmer's market. Go to a farm store. If you're listening to me because you're local to me, there are farms all over Frederick County, Howard County, Anne Arundel, Baltimore County that are open and that they and they have um, vegetables that they've grown on their own property or their friends have grown on their own property. They have um, meat that you can buy that's healthy and um, grow, you know, from animals that were truly loved and tended. Um, especially now when you're looking at, you know, what's happening in um, big industrialized food plants with this pandemic and everything, it's more and more important to, you know, to get another source of food than just the supermarket, just to be on the safe side. That's all I'm saying. So slow fashion, again, it's the awareness, it's, it's adding awareness and, um, it, it's taking into consideration the processes that are used in making the clothing. Um, it's focused on sustainability. Um, so, you know, if you're going to buy your clothing because you don't sew, you don't knit, you don't crochet, um, that's fine. But it's talking about buying higher quality goods that are going to last you a long time. You know, buying, um, a nice wool coat or wool suit that's going to last you a while. The styles that are classic, you can always make them more trendy by adding accessories. Um, but the point is, is to buy a wardrobe or make a wardrobe or consider a wardrobe that is classic, timeless, and that you are going to use and wear for some time. I have, just thinking of that, um, I have this wonderful wool coat that my friend Eileen gave me. It is like, it's a full length coat and it's wool and, and in stri vertical stripes, there's also um, velvet. Um, and it was made for her in Paris. And she it had to be made for her in the 50s, I want to say. So we're talking about it's a 50-year-old coat. It is the most beautiful thing. It has lasted all this time in really good order. There's a couple of minor fixes that I need to make on the lining. Um, there's some holes in the lining, but that's, of course, going to be where you have your wear. Um, it still fits me, um, which is pretty exciting, but it's one of those like big duster coats that you can see like Audrey Hepburn wearing or something like that. And every time I wear it, I think of her. Um, and so that's, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about is, you know, having classic pieces that never go out of style that are really, really well made that you can mend if you need to. Um, 
So if you're listening to me because you're a customer of mine, then I want to say that slow fashion is perfect for our, us yarn lovers. Whether you are a knitter or a weaver, um, you can make a lot of your own pieces in that wardrobe. Um, we make artisan handmade clothing every day. Um, like I was just saying about my no Rhinebeck sweater, um, that sweater will last a long time. I mean, I didn't think about my, the first sweater that I ever knit. I have to say, um, that I probably knit seven years ago. I still love it. I still wear it. It's timeless. It's all mohair. So it can be a little bit itchy. Um, but you know, it's a timeless piece. Um, and also with this slow fashion and with fiber shed movement, which I'll be talking about in a minute, um, it's also a push to look for things that are locally grown, things that are ethically made. Working with if you're if you're going to buy buy from companies who um, have fair trade lines. Um, if you're going to buy from a country company, sorry, look for those lines that, um, have some kind of like rebate program or that where you can bring back your clothes and they mend them and resell them kind of a deal. I think Eileen Fisher does that. Patagonia does that. LL Bean is famous for like resoling your shoes and, you know, re tech, re, uh, weatherproofing your, um, your jackets and things like that. So you know, buying from companies like that can really um, help save our planet. It reduces the num- sheer numbers of pieces of clothing that people are buying. And so as I talked to you uh, um, in the previous fast fashion episode, um, talk, the commitment is to buy fewer clothes and to buy better clothes. Mend the clothes that you love Recycle them, repurpose them, upcycle them. Um, even thinking back to our ancestors making quilts when they're when you cannot wear them anymore, but they still love textiles, making quilts out of them. I think about um, even though I, you know, a t-shirt is not uh, slow fashion, but I think of all those um, t-shirt quilts that people have made for their kids with like all the you know, college, the college t-shirt, the different sports t-shirts, those kind of things, and they make them into a quilt. So again, it's some, it's a piece of textile that keeps getting loved in your house. So uh, there's also the fiber shed movement, um, and slow fashion merges with fiber shed when you're talking about being local. So fiber shed is you buy local textiles, yarn or fiber. Again, it's know your fine, know your farmer. This time your farmer is going to be a fiber farmer like me. Um, and you know, know, know some artisans too. If you are someone who is not a knitter, but you have friends that are knitters, you can still supply them with the local yarn and have things made for yourself um there you can buy yarn and have um have clothing woven for you or have have fabric woven for you that then you can sew or you can have someone else sew for you 
Um, and for some textiles, especially here in um, the mid-Atlantic area, but really all over the United States, you can't find truly local things. And I'll be talking about that in a second. Um, so buy as local as it can be. Um, remember when, you know, when I've been talking to you about farm yarn, you know, when you're, when you buy from producers, you are basically letting your, your cash, you know, speak for you. Like I, I value the fact that you have farm yarn. I value the fact that you're taking care of your animals, you know, humanely and that you know what you're doing when you're making really nice, super squishy yarns like, like our Lively, our Trasna, our Synergy, our farm yarns that are just really great to use um, because they've been, the animals have been cared for and the manufacturing process has been um, over, overseen in such a way that it's fair trade. Basically, everybody's getting paid a fair wage and the product is super nice. Um, a slow fiber shed also means that you're not using um, commercial dyes. Now, as a dyer, everything basically that I have right now is either the natural color of the animal or it is dyed with commercial dyes. Um, one of my commitments this year is to make more a bigger line of uh, naturally dyed yarns so that they can be considered fiber shed. Um, so, so fiber shed dye, will fiber shed textiles that are dyed need to be dyed with natural dyes. And again, those dye stuffs should, I'm air quoting, should um, be local or as local as they can be. And that can reduce the number um, of colors that you can have. For instance, beautiful, bright fuchsia red that comes from cochineal comes from Mexico. They don't grow it here in the mid-Atlantic. You know, they're little beetles that live on um, cactus. And um, it's only grown there. Um, but I have matter root that makes a really another kind of um, like an orangey red that grows in my garden. Um, you know, we have black walnuts everywhere that makes a beautiful brown. We have right now blooming goldenrod that makes beautiful golden colors. Um, things can be planted here like um, indigo and um, all different kinds of plants um, that I won't bore you with right now that that will um, yield color. And one of the great things about naturally uh, naturally dyed colors is they all work really well together. Um, they are they're just a little bit on the muted side, not pastel, but there's something about them that that they just all work together really nicely in um, in a garment or. Um, in fabric. So that's a plus. So the fiber shed movement was started just a few years ago. It was started in California um, by Rebecca Burgess, and she has written a book, which I've spoken about before on the podcast, called Fiber Shed. Um, her, um, her mission was to, um, to make a community of art, uh, producers, artisans, and consumers that would um, build 
locally made, locally dyed textiles that people could wear. They have a really great website, and I will link to that in the show notes. Um, and um, now this fiber shed movement is all over the country and also in the world. And so from that website, you can go and look and see what fiber shed is near you in your area. In our area of the DMV, there are three fiber sheds started. There's the Chesapeake Fiber Shed, which is um, producer. It, it's 150 miles um, around D.C. So it's Virginia, um, some parts of West Virginia, Maryland, um, maybe even parts of Delaware might be in that too. And so that's called Chesapeake Fiber Shed. There's a West Virginia Fiber Shed. So that's starting a little bit to our west. And there's a Sligo Creek Fiber Shed. And all of these are in the process of gearing up. Um, none of them are quite set up totally as much as the California one is, mostly because they, they've had a big head start. Um, and also because it's a lot, it's a lot of work to start something new like this. Um, and again, the purpose of these fiber sheds is to match producers with fiber artisans. And then those, what the, what the local artisans make can then go to local consumers. So if you're interested, I urge, urge you to go to that fiber shed website is fibershed.org. And you can look up the affiliates in your area, and they also have educational programs. They have lots of good information on there. And there's lots that all of our of the fiber sheds are missing. And what I mean by that is that the United States no longer has the capacity to to mill. And to weave, well, first to mill, it's, it's, they don't have the capacity to take cotton and make it into cotton yarn and then to weave it into cotton fabric. Um, in, on the West, there's nobody that does anything with cotton. Um, I think in the, in the East here, North Carolina still has maybe one um, mill running, but we're losing the capacity. Um so there's something, some textiles that we just don't have access to really on a local or fiber shed centric kind of a way. Um, yes, yeah, specifically like local co cotton and linen. And there is a resurgence in hemp and um, most of the cotton is being grown in the South still. There's, and there's a lot of cotton being grown in the Southwest as well. Um, the linen that's being grown is up in the North, uh, the Northeast area and hemp is making a resurgence in like the North Carolina area. So, you know, the crossing like my present with my past, like my aunts and uncles used to work on those mills in North Carolina and they worked on the, the lines that actually made the fi the fabric. Um, they closed down that part of the mills in the 60s. That's what my aunt has told me. And then they were switched into the clothing manufacturing side 
rather than being on the weaving side. Um, yeah, so, you know, they used to make all that stuff pretty close here, but not anymore. And right now, for me, I am actively searching out as local as I can be textiles um, because we need those those cottons and linens and even hemp for our hot weather months. I mean, you, you can't wear wool here 12 months out of the year. And we have a gracious plenty of wool and alpaca producers, um, cashmere producers, um, angora rabbit producers. We have lots of animal fibers that are available. We have lots of mills in our area that can handle animal fibers, but we ha have a, we are really lacking in the uh, plant fiber um, milling capacity. So I'm looking for those. I'm also looking for linen from that New, New England fiber shed or someplace like that. Um, I have not been totally successful yet, um, and but I'm, I'm looking, and I'll keep you posted. The good news is that there are a lot of organically grown cotton um, fabrics and clothing that are available online. I'll post those on the show notes. Um, what I post is just kind of what I Google. I don't have an agreement with anybody. I don't make any claims about whether they're good or not or not. I think most of these organic clothing, cotton clothing places are working in a fair trade kind of a way as well. So we do have something that we can go to because, you know, we don't have to switch immediately into this arena. The other part of the fiber shed is talking about soil to soil and this, again, is a little bit out there for most people. I'm just going to tell you about it. I have not done this yet, but I am um, working towards uh, doing, more, some, doing something along these lines. I just had to retire a set of sheets, and they're 100% cotton. So I'll tell you about that in a minute. But if you are wearing 100% natural fiber clothing or if you have 100% cotton sheeting, um, any of those things, have they've come from the soil, right? So after you wear them, use them, love them, reuse them, mend them, upcycle them, even make them into a quilt, then you can put those clothes back into a compost pile. I have not tried it yet, um, but basically your well-used and well-loved natural fiber clothing will then give the carbon and, and nitrogen back into the soil and they will compost. Don't do this with anything that has lycra in it or polyester or anything man-made because as if you've been following um, this podcast in Episode number 10, I talked about how, you know, that our polyester clothing that's ending up in um, landfills is just sitting there. It doesn't rot. It doesn't break down. Um, so this is only for things that are 100 percent um, fiber, 100 percent cotton, 100 percent wool, you know, that kind of thing. And so, yes, if we do these things, are we saving the planet? I think so. 
um, if we commit to this to the slow fashion movement with the intent to move more and more into the fiber shed model, then we can save at least our little part of the planet in our little way. And that's what it takes, right? Starting with, you know, baby steps and then maybe convincing your next door neighbor or your friend at, you know, knitting group. Oh, hey, I'm doing this. Does anybody want to join me? Um, do you know that soil is the biggest carbon sink or that's what, that's the technical term or carbon bank in the, in the carbon cycle? Um, so what they mean by that, you know, we have carbon in, now in our air, right? We have the carbon that in the lithosphere, in the rocks that we're taking out to make gasoline. We have carbon that's in the dirt, which again is our biggest um, biggest source of, of carbon. There is carbon in um, the oceans in the air. Um, so if we take the carbon and nitrogen from the soil and it goes into the plants and then the animals eat the plants and then they eliminate, you know what I mean? They eliminate the, and that stuff becomes carbon and nitrogen again and enriches the soil. So the, and the better we make our soil, the more productive those plants will be. Um, so it's, it's a great way to, again, be saving our planet a little bit at a time. If we take it further and then compost those whatever clothing that we have that's 100% natural, then all of the carbon that we took out of the soil is ultimately being put back in the soil. We're not really losing anything. Um, this whole concept is called regenerative agriculture. Um, and research shows that the, if more farmers practiced it, it would solve much, like much, of our climate crisis. Um, there's lots of statistics about this. Um, it's really um, confusing to me. It's kind of off topic from what I want to talk about. If you're interested, um, look it up. Um, it's it's great to think about. It's great to, to talk again with your local fiber farmer. Are you doing things like this? Are you, you know, are you composting everything back into the soil? That kind of thing. Yeah, we can, we can work a little bit at a time on solving this climate crisis just through what we wear. Think about that. Okay, so what can you what can you do today and what can you do this year? Um, so I can only talk about me. Um, and first of all, what I want to do is to take stock of what I already have this slow fashion. And I've kind of done that, like the garments that I've made, the garments I love and continue to wear through the years, those that I'm willing and able to mend. And I would, that would be your step as well. Um, especially looking at those that you can continue to wear and, um, and mend them. Like I was saying, my, that beautiful Parisian duster that I have for Mylene. Secondly, we need to start taking care of our garments better. Um, and when I mean, when I say better, I mean, wash them in cold water, wash them in better soap and store them properly. And when I mean better soap, I mean, don't get the, the gain that smells really good. That's my problem. My next purchase, when I'm out of my gain that smells really good, it's on to 
those um, detergents that don't have added fragrances in them, again, those fragrances can be toxic to people. Um, and store them properly so that, you know, fold fold your sweaters so that they don't hang out of, um, they don't, they don't get out of um, fitting well. I'm not thinking of the word, you know, that happens to you too, right? And third, when you are, need to buy clothing, look for organic, look for ethical, look for fair trade. And I'll put, again, I'll put some of those links in the show notes. Those are the easy things that you can do right now, I think, and I can do right now without um, really having to make any big commitment. Here's the bigger commitment, the wardrobe project. So again, this is based on Rebecca Burgess's project. And what she wanted to do was to make um, a wardrobe that was a fully fiber shed wardrobe. Um, She realized pretty soon in that she could not do it by herself. And so she um, got other artisans to help, specifically felters um, who could felt wool fabric to make a heavier wool coat, things like that. Um, But here's the things that I can make and that I have made. Sweaters, vests, socks, hats, gloves, mittens, shawls, scarves. Um, You can make purses, right? You can make belts. There's, you can make a lot of different accessories. Um, You can make necklaces, um, all kinds of things like that. Um, Those are pretty easy to do in a fiber shed way. What I can't or won't do is Come on, underwear. I do not want wool underwear. <laughs> I don't know about you. Um, shoes and boots. We, you know, we are fiber farmers out here. I'm not going to have handmade shoes that I wear out to do the chores and muck the barns. I'm just not. Um, and like a parka that's downfilled that I can wear for our cold winters. Those things I'm not going to do. I will. Um, however, look for um, better sources of those instead of just looking at what is the cheapest thing that I can get. I know for like my my chore boots, those things last like four years. Um, and could they be mended after four years? I'm not sure because again, they are there's a lot of plastic involved in those. Um, but that's something that I can look into to see if there's any way to mend them. And what I have to look for is like cotton and linen for summer weather that is USA made. Um, Haven't found it yet. I have started to do some linen clothing, but the the linen was made in China, but I'm sewing it. Um, I found it at Joann's. I was surprised. 100% linen. um, Gorgeous stuff. And just making some really simple pieces that all work together. And you could do that too. Yeah, it's a commitment. It really is a commitment, but you don't have to do it all at once. Um, I think it's fine just to make progress towards that goal. Um, And that is my intent to make progress in the coming year. You know, I'm proud of myself. I, I knit two sweaters this year, and that is like unheard of for me like I said at the very beginning, and both of them 
both of them are farm yarns. The the one is um, 100% mohair for my animals. And the one that I just finished that's hand spun as well is 100% wool for my animals. That is That one was dyed with acid dyes. Um, so it isn't technically a fiber shed garment, but it's fully local, fully local. Um, and my other intent is to do more naturally dyed yarn so that I can have a line of yarns that's specifically fiber shed. And they're going to be beautiful. So who wants to join me? Because it's always more fun when there are more people involved, right? Um, and I would love to have some of you join me on the pro on the project. And I'm just it's just what I'm asking you to commit to is to make one garment that's local and naturally dyed or naturally colored. Like, you know, we have some great charcoal -y kind of um, yarn. We have um, some nice brown mohair that is would be great for a sweater. Um, and of course, you can look at other local um, farmers that are in our area. And like I said, I will be doing some naturally dyed as well. Um, probably in November and December, I'll start doing that. Um, I've been collecting my uh, black walnuts, so I'll have some nice deep browns to make. So if you're interested, comment on the podcast, shoot me an email. Um, I'm going to start, I haven't done it yet, but um, later today, um, which is Friday the 8th, and you'll, this is going to drop on Monday. So by the time you are listening to this, I will have started a face group, Facebook group under my Facebook page where we can share our progress um, in the coming year. And like I said, I would love to have people join me. Um, is, there, is there a consequence if you don't get it done in a year? No. Life happens, right? We have no idea what is what this coming year is going to be. Um, but it'd be great to just share our progress, make a commitment for, you know, one fiber shed kind of garment this year. And until I see you again in person or I see you virtually, happy making. Well, that's this episode of the Flying Goat Farm podcast. If you enjoyed it, please consider leaving a review. Have a question you'd like me to answer? Send an email to goatherd at flyinggoatfarm.com. And to see our farm and yarn and roving, check out our website at flyinggoatfarm.com. Follow me at Flying Goat Farm on Facebook and Instagram, and I'm Goat Herd on Ravelry. Until next time, happy making.